What's up, guys? We are very glad to have you back for another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and I've got my co-host Curtis with me on the other end of the line. Kurt, how you been, man? Uh, I've been good. Yeah? So, I learned something today. You might have heard this. I don't know. I just, I, this just kind of shocked me, so I have to bring it up. I, I just read this like an hour ago, and I just still can't get over it. Today, I learned that Greg Maddox, did you hear about this? His statistics? No, not his statistics. No, 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 nothing that has to do with statistics. I learned. Dirty he is. I learned that Greg Maddox used to pee on Chipper Jones. That's a little weird. That's what I learned today. That's what I learned. Uh, I basically, I I guess Chipper is writing a, a memoir, which I'm sure he's not actually writing it. I wouldn't think so, but he's giving ideas. Apparently, he said that uh, when he was playing with old Mad Dog. Uh, Maddox would call him into the shower because like, I guess when Chipper was a, a young guy, Maddox was a little more established. He'd call him in the shower and, and talk to him like he's got something really important to tell him, and you know, talking to him very earnestly. And Chipper's like, "Yeah, you know, this is this is Greg Maddox. You, know, you got to listen to him." And all the while, like he notices all the other players around, kind of just like laughing their heads off, and he doesn't know what's going. on. Looks down, and Maddox is peeing on him in the shower. So. That kind of ruined my childhood a little bit today. I mean, like most little Georgia boys in the 90s, I, I love both those guys. Well, I mean, Chipper until the whole Hooters thing happened, but still loved them. But now, I don't know, man. Does that knowledge kind of change anything for you? Like, thinking about no, those no, guys? Not not as much as me. I mean, as you know, especially, you might not be a huge fan of it, but as you know, like, coming up in sports, I mean, locker room shenanigans happen. They happen. Like, yeah, I mean, of course. Yeah, I mean, I played sports my entire life. Yes, I mean, they happen. You know, some, some go farther than others. I'll just say this. I've engaged in a lot of locker room shenanigans. I mean, I wasn't the biggest prankster. Actually, I wasn't really a prankster, but I've seen a lot of things go down in the locker room. I've never seen someone pee on someone else. I haven't seen that one. No, it gets different. Yeah, so I don't know, man. I just don't know how to feel about that because as, as a young kid from Georgia – I don't know, man. I looked up to those guys, so that's that's weird. Anyway, so enough about star baseball players urinating on each other. This just kind of threw me for a loop, still kind of thrown for a loop. But today we have part one of our March listener mailbag. Um, seriously, guys, all of you listeners out there, you have some legitimately great questions. And we get so many that we're going to have to break it up into two parts again for this month. So check back next week for part two. It won't be March next week, but we'll still call it the March mailbag. Uh, but some real quick business items first. You can follow us on Twitter and interact with us at glory underscore UGA, or you can email us um, all your thoughts, questions, anything at glory UGA podcast at gmail.com. Uh, and I promise you guys, if, if you contact us, we will respond. It's just kind of how we work. We think you guys deserve that. So if you have something to say, uh, Something you agree with, something you disagree with, got some thoughts you want to share, some questions you want to bring up, want us to bring up on the show. We promise you guys that we will definitely uh, respond to you, interact with you there on social media, email, whatever it is, wherever it is that you contact us. So uh, we would also sincerely appreciate it if you would follow us and if you have a moment or two, give us a review on iTunes, especially on iTunes. It's easy to review there, uh, but also follow us, review us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn. Any of those other uh, podcasting platforms that we are up on, uh, we hope that by being up on those platforms, it, like we keep saying, it's going to help make things a little easier for you, easier to access our show. But it also, I mean, it's going to help us out too, uh, uh, kind of making the show sustainable long term. If you guys will help us out, kind of subscribe and review us, kind of help us continue to grow. So if you like the show, please help us out there. But all right, let's go ahead and get into these questions. 
Uh, we're going to start. Now, Curtis, I don't know if you – I mean, you can you can chime in here on this one. I know you were uh, doing some home improvement stuff on Sunday, so you did not have a chance to get out to Buford for the uh, Nike regional opening here in Atlanta. Uh, I had a chance to go down there for a couple hours. I wasn't there for the entire day. I was there for a couple hours and came back and uh, watched some uh, of the women's tennis team's match against Mississippi State. But uh, I did have a chance to make it down to the Atlanta opening regionals, regionals at Buford. And the first question we had was about that. And the question is simply, can you talk about the Atlanta opening regional standouts and our targets that were there? So uh, I'm just going to mention a couple guys that stood out to me. And Kurt, you can chime in because these guys are, are most of these are, are big names. And you can kind of chime in with your thoughts on them in general. But the first guy that stood out to me more than anybody was Jamari Salyer. I mean, this guy, he's the real deal. He's huge. He absolutely has the footwork and the athleticism to play guard, center. He could play tackle in a pinch. I think he's definitely more of an inside type guy, though. Um, but, man, he, he's the real deal. You see him in person. Now, they weren't really in pads or anything, but you can see that quickness. You see the technique he's got. Um, in my eyes, seeing him uh, in the camp setting, not a game setting, but a camp setting, that kind of reconfirmed for me his his, his elite ranking, his five-star rating. Uh, Trey Hill was also there. Trey Hill looks really good, man. He's not that far off. There's not much of a difference between Salyer and Hill. Um, they both look really good. I would say Salyer right now is a notch ahead, um, maybe a, a little quicker, just a, a, a hair quicker, a little bit more powerful. Again, this was without pads on, but look, you're, you're just it's you're splitting hairs picking between both those guys. Uh, another guy that I really liked that stood out to me, and I've liked him for a while. I liked him on film when I saw in person. Again, not in pads, but still, there's some things you can you can take from these camp settings. Was outside linebacker, kind of that defensive end, outside linebacker hybrid guy, Britton Cox. would so be a pass rusher guy for us, kind of like Davin Bellamy or Lorenzo Carter. Uh, the guy's he's explosive, man. That, that's that's his game. He is absolutely explosive. He uses his hands well. Um, at least he did in the drills where he went up against some of these guys. Now he went up against Salyer, and Salyer kind of stoned him, and, and definitely won uh, that rep that I saw against the, when they went against each other. But Cox, in terms of those pass rushing guys, he really stood out to me there. Uh, 2019 guy Jaden Hazelwood, he was there. Uh, man, the guy is so silky smooth, and he's deceptively fast. Kind of got that. Long, he's got a long, lean body. He's about 6'3", 6'4", but he looks every bit of a number one receiver, man, down the road. He's a 2019 guy. Some corners that kind of stood out to me. Uh, I saw a couple guys. uh, Kyler McMichael at GAC, Chris Smith out of Hapeville Charter, Miles Sims uh, out of Westlake High. Uh, Then Christian Tutt was also there at Thompson. So I know you didn't get a chance to go there, Kurt, but just your opinion on those guys, what you've seen from them to this point on tape, who do you like better? You like Michael? You like Smith, Sims, Tut? Which guy has kind of stood out to you? Um, probably McMichael. I'm, I think I'm bigger on him than most of these guys because I, the fact of the matter is he's just so versatile that um, that's one thing I like about him. You know, he's he's got great ball hand, or um, ball skills, yeah, ball skills. And at the same time, I think he's stronger and more physical than the other guys. You know, um, Christian Tut's really taking a step back. I felt like from what I've seen lately, and, and I think it's going along with what the coaches also because I mean if you've been reading most things is you know we haven't been going as hard after him as we had in the past and even that goes along with the you know Sims on the same part we have we've been cooled down on them while we've heated up on people like McMichael yeah McMichael I mean he's the real deal he is all of all four of those guys I would say right now I probably like him the best and it's just his upside man athleticism and uh, he's somewhat raw off the cornerback position he plays I mean he's got some skill don't get me wrong but he plays, uh, he plays running back at GAC, and he's an explosive athlete. He really is. Uh, he absolutely, I think, projects long-term as a uh, as a cornerback. And he 
if you're talking corners, strictly corners, he's number one on my board right now based on what I've seen to this point. Now we'll see. And he's got decent size, good length. He's right about six foot. He's pretty stout though. He's close to 200 pounds at six foot. Um, so he's a guy that's, I'm with you, man. He's high on my board. Down at the bottom though, I would, I'm with you. I think Tut is kind of dropping for me. And if you kind of read between the tea leaves there, seems like we're not as high on him as we once were. Maybe our previous staff was like when he was a sophomore. Now, when I saw him as a sophomore up in Athens at some of these 7-on-7 seven seven camps, he got really stood out. But some of these other guys have kind of, in my opinion, at least overtaken him. I really like what I've seen out of Miles Sims. He's a long guy at Weston. He's, like, he's about 6'3", it looks like. Long, uh, which is kind of what we're going for at the cornerback position. But, I don't know, right now it seems like he's leaning a different direction. And look, we're not the kind of guys that, like we've said many times, we listen to the show, we're not the recruiting analysts that call these guys up and get interviews with them. That's, that's not our role. We try to stick to more of the valuation, seeing them at camps, watching their tape, watching games, that kind of thing. But I really like what I've seen out of him. But from what I understand from the guys who do interview these guys and follow them closely and have this inside sources, sounds like he might be leaning a different direction, maybe Michigan, maybe Clemson. I don't know. But just and we're not out of the picture, but he's a guy that I, I really like. Chris Smith is a guy that I'm also really high on. He was one of the more explosive cornerbacks out there. Um, got some good length on him. I think he's a guy that we might be in really good shape without a Hapeville charter. Uh, receiver, um, two guys that that are, if you're asking about targets that, that we're after, that's kind of stood out to me. You had Kyrus Jackson and Josh Van. So, Kurt, I know you weren't there again, but what you've seen from both those guys, Kyrus Jackson out of Peach County, Josh Van out of Tucker High School, which one has kind of impressed you more to this point? Um, right now, Kyrus Jackson, um, I think he's probably the one that's made more of an impact to me. Yeah, I agree. Um, but I'll say, like, watching them in person at this camp, Jackson stood out to me more than Van did. Now, watching them on tape, I was a little higher on Van. I thought he was more of a playmaker, had better ball skills than what I had seen. Maybe a little bit more explosive on tape. But watching them in person, I really liked what I saw at Kyrus Jackson. Um, he's At this point, he's just more polished than Josh Van. I still say that Van's more explosive, but he's also a little smaller. Jackson's not super tall himself. He's only he's a, right at about six foot. But he's a stout six foot, kind of like McMichael. He's over 200 pounds, right about 203, 205. Um, while Josh Van is about 5'10", 5'10 and a half, and maybe 175 pounds. He's really thin. So Jackson has the size advantage on him there. But I think Van's a little more explosive. But Jackson is more the technician right now. Um, I mean, Jackson, like to give you, I think he ran like a 4.57, if I remember correctly. Uh, was his laser time 40 there, which is not bad. I mean, like, people won't say, well, he's not 4-4. Four, four. Guys, 4-4 four, four is really, that's rare. Like, you don't really, that's that's not just an everyday kind of thing, especially as a guy who's right now in his junior year of, of high school. 4-5-7 is nothing to be ashamed of. I mean, I, that's solid. And But he's more of a technician kind of guy. Uh, gets really gets in and out of his cuts really well. He's got good hands. He's a little more polished right now in the position. Uh, but they both look good. But if I had to pick one right now, I would go with Kyrus Jackson over Van at this point. Another guy that I wasn't sure about, I was really excited to see him in person because I wasn't sure about him on tape, and that's J.J. Peterson out of Colquitt County. Now, he projects more as a linebacker, maybe outside, maybe inside, but he's thin. He's about 6'1", 6'1 half. He's only, I think he measured in like 210, something like that at the camp um, before I had to leave. I saw that. I think he can play inside. I, he's got the frame to add weight. Now, here's a guy that's super athletic. He, he basically, he saw it like he returns kicks. He plays linebacker, but he returns kicks for Colquitt County. So, and plays receiver, super athletic guy. Um, he's got the frame. He's got to put on somebody. He's not there right now, but I think he could be like a Roquan Smith type guy for us down the road with that kind of athleticism. Uh, a couple more names here real quick. One guy that I really, really like in the passing game, not a receiver, is Will Mallory 
uh, out of Florida. I think he's out of Jacksonville, maybe. Uh, but he's he's a tall guy. He's, he's that vertical receiving threat that we don't have right now. We have some really good tight ends. But would you say that we have any tight on the roster right now that's a true vertical threat, Kurt? No. Like we have some really good pass catching tight ends. Like Nada is really good. Uh, Charlie Warner, I think, is going to be awesome. Now, Charlie Warner could potentially be that vertical threat if he kind of just figures out the position. But Blazevich is clearly not. What did you say about him? How do you describe how he, how he runs? He's heavy footed. Yeah, he's heavy footed. He just like I think he said fighting air one time, which is a great way to describe it. Um, so you got Jackson Harris. No, those, those are all good tight ends, but they're not like vertical threats. They're going to stretch the defense vertically. Will Mallory is that guy. I mean, he's six five, but he's thin. He, he's 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 one of those new age tight ends. He's not really an inline tight end right now because he's a barely over two hundred pounds at six five. So he is he's really thin, but he's got great ball skills, great hands. He is a, a potential vertical threat. He's been to Athens recently. Uh, we're we're high up there on his list, but if you look at some of these crystal balls and read some of the the tea leaves and listen to some of the recruiting analysts, it looks like he's probably more Michigan bound than anything. We got a shot. Yeah, he has a legacy to Michigan. We do need to mention that. Yeah, he is a legacy to Michigan. So, like, it's it's very unlikely that we would sign him. But if you're asking me, like, who stood out to me, Will Mallory, like, he, as tight ends go, and, and really he was almost more impressive than most of the receivers I saw. I really liked him. Um, but, again, not a true inline tight end, and uh, which I don't know if that fits with our system so well. And he is a Michigan legacy, so eh, I don't know if you want to call him a true t- – I mean, we're after him, but – I don't know how likely that is. And then Derek Allen is a guy who we were after for a while, um, going back a couple years. Ends up coming to Notre Dame. And this is not sour grapes, guys. I think Derek Allen's a really good athlete. But he was he was lined up playing safety. He's not going to be a safety at the next level. And he, he wants to be. He thinks he is. But the dude's already huge. I mean, he's like pushing 225 right now, close to it at least, um, as a junior in high school. There's, I just don't see any way he's going to drop weight to play safety. He's not going to be able to play safety at that way. He's going to be a, he's going to be a linebacker. Uh, I, I, I think he needs to accept that. Now, whatever, it's his choice. Um, but as a safety, no way, man. He's not he's not an elite athlete as a safety. He'd be a, an elite athlete as a linebacker. Um, so he's a solid player. But I, I don't. I think we've kind of moved on from him. But there's just a couple names that kind of stood out to me. Um, a couple of the targets that we were after as well. We were thinking about doing. A, I was going to do a whole show dedicated to that, but we had a lot of things coming up with the listener mailbag. Had uh, uh, the Coach Wallace interview, so didn't get to do a whole show on it. But hope that kind of satisfied your craving there. All right, Kurt, I'm gonna bring you in a little bit more here on this next question. These next two questions are, are kind of related. Uh, the first one is: Do you think we will take the next step in Kirby's second year and win the SEC East? You want to go ahead and give me an early prediction on that one. Um, I think we have a great opportunity to. Um, I think, you know, while we've said we've had opportunities the last couple of years, in the, the East is absolutely weak. I mean, before there, we've said it was weak, but it's not been as weak as it, it is right now. You're going to have some teams that are improved, like South Carolina's going to be improved, but you're also going to have teams like Florida, who, while their offense hasn't been great or even decent, their defense has been outstanding. And that's not the case, um, you know, going forward this year. And Tennessee is going to be taking it. You know, a huge step back from you know what they've had the last couple of years so I think if you know this is definitely the time for if we are able to take that step forward I think we have you know a better shot than we have had in the last five six years at winning the East. Do you think Tennessee is going to take a step backwards a big step backwards this year? I think in certain positions you got to think about uh, you're losing Josh Malone, Alvin Kamara, um, an experienced quarterback and Josh Dobbs um, and then defensively you're, I mean even though he was hurt at times you're losing people like Cam Sutton Derek Barnett. Um, Derek Barnett is jumping up the NFL draft boards right now. And he, rightfully so. I mean, he's he good, a, man. 
Yeah, and I mean, it's, it broke it's Reggie like White's sack record. I mean, that's crazy. Exactly, you're just losing some of your playmakers. Jalen Reeves, Maven. Exactly, the people that really changed the game for them. I mean, even with Reeves, Maven, and Sutton out against us, they had Barnett, who still changes everything. And then offensively, they they even noticed it more last year, especially after. Um, Wow, I forgot his name. Uh, her changed positions, but Kamara is a huge threat out of the backfield. And Dobbs, you know, while he wasn't the greatest quarterback, he was serviceable and could still change things with his legs. He wasn't a great passing quarterback, but he was exactly what they wanted for that offensive system. And he had a really good senior year. He, he took a big step forward. But he, was, he still wasn't super accurate, particularly I remember that App State game. He almost lost him that game. Um, but he did. He had a good senior year. He really did. Um I don't know what to think about Tennessee right now. They're still they've recruited well for a while. There's still some good talent there, but you're right. They lost so many difference makers on both sides of the yeah, ball. I think, I think they're going to be good, but you can be good and still lack difference. Like it's it's one thing. Okay, you got to replace your quarterback. That happens. College got to replace quarterbacks, but you're not just replacing your quarterback. You're replacing your quarterback. You're replacing your best receiver in Josh Malone. You're you're replacing your best pass rusher in Derek Barnett. You're replacing your best linebacker in Jalen Reeves Maven. You're replacing your best defensive back in Cam Sutton. I mean, these are legitimate. Difference makers. Now they've recruited well. They've got some guys. You have Shy Tuttle, Khalil McKenzie. You got Richmond over there at the left tackle. Really couldn't couldn't really pull his weight as a freshman. Maybe he'll take a step as a, as a sophomore. You have that one receiver in my mind went blank, but um, who? Jawan Jennings? Yeah, screw him and his miracle hail mary catch. But see, me. they have people like that, but not just you know tons of the difference makers. What they're going to be lacking. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no no doubt about that. The, the difference makers there are just. They're not running. Maybe they'll merge because he has recruited well there. But yeah, I mean, in Florida, they're look. They still don't have a quarterback. Still don't have a quarterback. Defensively, yes, there's still some talent there, but they're losing so much. Caleb Brantley is a major loss. No one's really talking about that. That dude was the key to that defense the past couple of years. I mean, that he was an explosive, disruptive interior defensive tackle. Uh, you're losing Brian Cox. You now he missed most of last year, but still, he's, he was a key leader. You're, you're losing, losing both Quincy linebackers. And ta- yeah, and yeah. Tabor. Both linebackers, both cornerbacks. You're losing Alex Anzalone, a linebacker. You're losing Jared Davis. You're losing, like you, like you said, Quincy Wilson. You're losing uh, Jalen Tabor. I mean, dude, they're losing a ton. And really, let's be real. Let's be real. Now, give them credit. I mean, it hurts me to do that, but you got to give them credit. They've won the SEC East two years in a row. It was a down SEC East, but they still they won it, Okay. But yeah. let's be real. They didn't win that because of Jim McElwain's prowess. They won no, that they because won they were defense. living off of what Will Muschamp had recruited on the defensive side of the ball. Because their offense has been a train wreck. Even more so than our offense the past two years. It really has been. Um, and now that those defensive players that Muschamp recruited have largely left the program, they've moved on, graduated, left early, whatever. Now you can't sit there and rely on them. Now you're going to have to actually do something offensively. And I don't know if they're ready to do that. Do you think they are? I don't. Um, honestly, no. I mean, they had didn't add any weapons. I mean, you've got you've got some guys that can can do some things. I mean, Jordan Scarlett really kind of came on late in the season. I said all season long last year they didn't really have a feature SEC running back. I'm still not sure that they do. I think if they have anyone that's close to it, it'd be Jordan Scarlett. And he's a guy that's not super big, but he runs hard. Um, so you, you have a few weapons like that, but they still do not have a quarterback. And I don't see that changing. Do you? No. I don't. Yeah, I mean, you got Antonio Callaway at wide receiver, and then, and then you got Tyree Cleveland, who also was a freshman last year, came on late. So they got a few guys that can make some plays, but their offensive line's still eh, okay. And if you don't have a quarterback, your defense is not, you can't rely on your defense just to be dominant to win you games. I think that this is as good a year of any as any is going to be for us to take over the SEC East. I mean, I don't see any reason why not. Because if it's not, like, there's no overwhelming favorite. 
Um, and I, I wouldn't consider, would you consider us us an overwhelming favorite? Not yet, but I think potential. I don't think we're the overwhelming favorite coming this season. I think we probably should be the favorite based on who we have coming back and who we're adding into the program and with this freshman class. And you can't count on freshmen. They should be able to provide depth um, to to a, what is already a solid core. And you got year two of uh, Kirby Smart air, the coaching staff has a little more cohesiveness there. He's learned from some of his mistakes and understands what's required more. Um, so I, I think absolutely this could be the year that we take over and win the SEC East. Now the next question here on a related note, how long until we are in the playoffs is the next question. Two years. So 2019? Uh, I think 18 you have the potential to make. I think 19 the year you might win it. 18 might be the year you first make an appearance. Kind of a Clemson deal. Yeah, you kind of get your, dip your toe into the water there, get a little more depth, get a little more experience, and let those guys grow up a little bit, and then you make your your legit title run in 2019. I can see that scenario playing out, but I don't see any reason why we can't be a contender in 2018. No, I see us definitely being a contender, but I'm not sure if we fully have the depth. We have some good players, but you have to have a lot of depth and things to be able to make the impact. And that's why I said 18, we will probably get there, but I don't know, you know, if you go who you match up against, but. You know, I think 19 would have be a greater chance, but I still think 18 is a great opportunity. Well, if you look at it, in 18, we'll have two – that's three recruiting classes on top of each other. Kirby's had a hand in. Two of them we know have been elite, especially this past class in 2017, 2016. Obviously, gives you Jacob Eason and, and uh, you know, a bunch of players that were major contributors for us last year. you got Riley Ridley. Um, you got some of the interior defensive tackles, Julian Rochester. Uh, you had some players that definitely made some major contributions for us there. So you have that class will be juniors, and your 2017 class, which is the high, most highly rated recruiting class we've ever had, will be sophomores. So we'll have some seasoning to them. And then whatever we sign this year in 2018, which, you know, if you look at trends, should be a, another really good class. Maybe not the sheer numbers, and we're not going to uh, – we're going to miss out probably on some of those elite quarterbacks, but still it should be a really good class. They'll be freshmen. I think 18's – get a legitimate chance. I mean, think about it. All you got to do is get to the, get to the SEC title game. Get to the title game, and you got a shot. And I think we have. I I think by eighteen, we'll have enough talent, enough depth. That on any given day, we can beat anybody from the West in that title game. And if you win that title game, you're going to put yourself in position to, to make the playoffs. You might not win it, but I think we're going to be in position. But I think 2019. Yeah, if you, if you look at 2019, the 2016 recruiting class are going to be seniors. Easton will probably be gone by then, but Fromm should be ready to take over. Um, then you've got your, of course, the 2017 class, the highest rated class we've ever had will be juniors. 18 will be, uh, sophomores, of course. And you got your 19 class, which looks absolutely loaded in state. And we've already got guys like Nolan Smith who've already committed and are on board and recruiting heavily for us. So there's a lot of momentum right now. There's probably more momentum in the 2019 class than there's in the 18 class right now, which hard to believe, but seems to be true at this point in time. So 2019, I'm telling you, like, Watch out, people. But I think 18, we have a legitimate chance. Not 17? You're not You're not buying that? Not this year? <laughs> no chance? No chance for the playoffs? I think we could. Like, I mean, it's a long shot. But if things come together, if Eason takes a huge step, if if Nick and Sony go crazy, if we're able to actually run the football, if we get our offensive line issues worked out, I mean, our defense is pretty much there, right? I mean, 10 returning starters now, it, it, there's some guys that maybe probably – you know, shouldn't start like maybe an Aaron Davis, but if you got the depth of this class that we brought in, kind of backing some of these guys, I think the defense is there. Now a lot of things have to go right offensively, uh, and it's highly unlikely that we make a playoff run this year. But I mean, 
Is it completely out of their own possibility? Uh, not out completely out, but I know it's unlikely. I know, I know. I'm just, I'm just trying to be a wishful thinker here. It's completely unlikely, but I mean, crazier things have happened. I mean, you take a, Eason takes a huge jump, have some receivers step up. I think Javon Wims might be ready to take that jump and figure out the offensive line. Who knows? I mean, look at this. Look at the schedule this year. Home schedule is nothing. Uh, then you go to Jacksonville, of course. You can go to Auburn. Uh, you got the, the Notre Dame game. They were a train wreck last year. It'll be improved. They're still a train wreck. I mean, I don't know. If you end up 10-2, and two, you go to the SEC title game in a one-game setting, who knows? Maybe something happens and you're in the conversation. In the conversation. Nah, still a long shot, though. All right. Um, next question about the offensive line. Alden Bynum is running as first-team right tackle. Has he gotten much better, or is Hayes... I guess you're talking about, obviously talking about Demarcus Hayes. Not as good as advertised, or is it just too early to tell? How are you looking at that? The, uh, I think it's really just too early to tell. They're trying to get Hayes more in, you know, situated into the system. I doubt that you'll come fall. You'll see um, Bynum really staying at that right tackle position much longer. I mean, what we've had what four practices? I mean, we're recording this on Wednesday evening, so we've had four practices this spring. I mean, it's too early. I Bynum playing right tackle to open up is kind of by default because we just don't really have any anyone that's an obvious answer there and since he's an upperclassman you kind of and he's kind of put he's worked hard got his body in shape he's up over 300 pounds now um so you you, you kind of throw him a bone and give him give him a chance there but like what is there any chance like this guy's legitimately going to open up as our right tackle come september i mean come on no no this no. Is, that's just not gonna happen that's that's unrealistic um, it was it would stun me if that happened. I mean, you got guys coming in that will that will push with that. Hayes is still kind of learning the system, so he can take over that right tackle spot. Maybe we move him to left tackle, and Isaiah Wilson comes in moving to right tackle. I mean, it's a lot of pressure put on a true freshman, but um, he's he the expectation I know right now is for him to come in and be ready to play. So I don't know. It's too early to really kind of predict exactly what the offensive line is going to look look like, but I would be highly surprised if Alden Bynum factors in there once the season actually rolls around. Uh, all right, next question here. Um, Jonathan Ledbetter says, uh, the question is, noticing the dominance and growth of Jonathan Ledbetter so far during spring practice, could he be the best player on the defense in 2017? Uh, no, I think, uh, well, I think he'll be a really good player. Um, I think I'm going to go with the two inside linebackers. You think they're both better than Ledbetter, Roquan and Natrez? And they're both in their own respective, I think so. And but think about the like Ledbetter, and if you guys listen to the show, you know that I am really high on Jonathan Ledbetter. I think he's a really good player, especially that that body type that we don't have much of that five technique, true deep, three four defensive end. We still have a ton of those guys, and he, he's you know two sixty five, two seventy. As, as Kirby says, he's one of those guys that you can keep him out there for extended downs where he doesn't get tired. And when teams are running up tempo, that's a valuable thing to have. Uh, so he's got a lot of value to our defense, and we just don't have any body types like his. He can stay on the field longer uh, when offenses don't let you substitute. I mean, that's that's key to have. But look, we've got guys on the team like on the defense like Trent Thompson. You've got Roquan Smith. You got Natres Patrick's guy that I'm really high on. I mean, these are really really good, if not elite players, or, or they have that capability. Uh, I think Ledbetter's in that conversation, but it's hard for me to say that he's going to end up long term being better than a Trent Thompson. Uh, being better than a Roquan Smith, who I think well, we'll get to in a second, might be a first-round draft pick when it's all said and done. And a guy like a Natrez Patrick. Really good player, really high on him. He's going to do a lot of really good things for especially having him for a full season. But best player on the defense? I don't know. Uh, I think there's a chance he could be, but he's going to have to take a big step this year. 
and some of those other guys not take as big of a step coming into the 2017 season. All right, uh, next one. Uh, good question here, interesting question. Does Nick Chubb have a shot to catch Herschel Walker on the Georgia all-time rushing list? And just to give you some numbers here, Kurt, in case you're not sure, uh, he's basically Nick is number two right now on the all-time rushing on our all-time rushing list, and he's 1,835 yards behind Herschel Walker. So he's got one year to do it. Can he make it happen? I think he can. Um, you know, he didn't have a great year last year, but I think the biggest thing is he's, you know, at the moment seems to be a lot more healthy than he has been. So I think there's going to be, and I think offensive line will also be improved. So I think there's going to be a better opportunity for him to get to that 1,200 yard mark. I there's an outside shot. I mean, to put this in a little more perspective, the the best single season that any of one of our running backs has had is Herschel Walker, 1981, when he ran for 1,891 yards. So Chubb would have to almost match that. The best single season that we've had for a running back in our program's history. Is that a, is that completely out of their own possibility? No. I mean, Chubb, when he's healthy, he's awesome. And by all accounts, he is healthy and awesome. Going out there without a knee breaks, it looks like he might be the old Nate Chubb. I haven't seen him yet. I'm very excited to see what it looks like on G-Day. Hopefully we'll see him for like two snaps, and then he sits the rest of the day. Um, but, I mean, there's a chance... Does it not concern like the the splitting carries of Sony Michelle? Does that not kind of play a play into this also? Oh, definitely. I mean, you'd be crazy not to say this. I think also some like one thing you got to factor in is how many games are we going to play? If we get to the SEC title game and we get to a bowl game, he'll play fourteen games, right? Well, yeah. he'd, he'd have to basically average a little over one hundred and thirty yards a game, and without getting any kind of injuries over the course of 14 games, if we make it to Atlanta in the SEC title game and play in our bowl game. That's doable, but we've got to get to the title game. He's going to have to have a bounce back here. Offensive line's going to have to be better. Um, Sony's not going to be able to – We're not going to, Sony can't cut into his carries and his yards that much. I mean, it's doable, but it's it's going to be something that's – it's going to take a lot of things kind of falling into place. He's got to stay healthy, like I said. we got to – play 14 plus games and have I mean, also have played 15 you know go all the way to the title game but that's again like we said highly unlikely uh be awesome to see it though man i mean nick he deserves it dude like coming back like he did for us um and in fighting through the injury like he's fought through and just been the leader he's been in the model system he's been I, I don't know if i could be happier for anyone in the world if that I, as i would be for nick Chubb if he was able to break that record all right, uh, you mentioned these two linebackers. You you said you're high on both of them, so it's interesting. We got a question about them here. Uh, who will be drafted higher when they come out for the NFL draft? Natres Patrick or Roquan Smith? Um, it's tough. Probably, probably Natres. Well, I think Roquan's good. I think the difference is Natres will be closer to a more pro ready body at the time than what Roquan will be sporting. Okay. Who do you think is the better player right now? If you had better to take one right for your now is Roquan, but I think Natres fits the pro scheme a little bit better, depending on the team. But I mean, you got to think about it. While someone like Deion Jones on the Falcons isn't that thick, he's a little bit taller, more lanky than Roquan. Yeah, Roquan's six one. He's up to about two twenty five right now. I mean, you look at Natres. He's six three, two thirty eight. About he's about two forty. Let's be real, two forty, two forty five, somewhere around there. So he definitely got the size advantage on Roquan. But he doesn't have the speed Roquan has. I mean, Natrez is very athletic for his size. Don't get me wrong. He really is, and I love Natrez Patrick. I'm really happy. I think he's got all – I think they both have 
all SEC first team type talent. I really think they do. But and, and you bring up Deion Jones with the Falcons. The NFL, you can't deny, has become more of a passing league in the modern age. And Roquan kind of fits that sideline to sideline type player, a guy who's a true three down linebacker in the NFL. Natrez, I mean, do you see him as a three down linebacker in the NFL? Nah. I don't. So because of that, I think Roquan might be drafted higher uh, because because he really is a guy that can stay on the field in all situations, which is very very valuable in today's NFL. Uh, all right, uh, just a couple more here. Really, I guess this is the last one. It's kind of multifaceted, but what's our kicking game like? Who is leading for each phase of the kicking game? Who is returning kicks and punts? So let's take it uh, with the kicking game. Do you trust Rodrigo Blankenship to be our uh, field goal and place kicker, our place kicker and kickoff guy this year? Not kickoff, but maybe place kicker, yeah. So is it David Marvin, the guy that the guy's transferring in from Wofford, is going to be the guy that takes over kickoffs? Um, I think they're going to just try to give someone else the opportunity because I think kickoffs is honestly what's been holding uh, Rodrigo back from actually getting a scholarship, a true scholarship. Yeah, because I mean that's part of the job. I mean, yeah, he he was really solid for us down the stretch as a field goal kicker, as that place kicker. But field goals still left something to be desired. I'm sorry, uh, kickoffs left something to be desired. It wasn't getting enough hang time, wasn't getting it far enough out there, and that was one of the issues with our defense. You know, starting at a dis- being at a disadvantage in terms of where the off the opposing offense was starting field position wise. I mean, you saw the the uh, TCU game, the bowl game there in Memphis. That almost cost us the game single handedly right there. All the returns they were getting in the return game because we just could not kick it out of the end zone. We could not get enough air under it, so our uh, cover team could get down there and co- actually cover the kick. So he needs to improve there. I, I'm with you. I, I don't. After seeing it for an entire year, basically, I'm not sure I have much faith in Blankenship to improve in that aspect of his game. So it'll be interesting to see if it's maybe David Marvin, maybe one of the punters gets in there. Uh, Mitchell Wasson, who, uh, as I'm, as I'm aware right now, I don't think Wasson's practicing with the team right now due to an injury. Yeah, I think, I've heard he's got a hammy injury. Yeah, so I don't think he's actually practicing right now. I've got a long time to go, but I think it'll be someone besides Rodrigo kicking off. Uh, at least if it, I, it better be if Rodrigo hasn't improved that aspect of his game from last year. Um, what about punts, though? You, are, is Marshall Long going to have a bounce-back year? Because we don't have Bryce Ramsey to bail us out now. I honestly don't know. I don't think there's enough information for that. It could be Marshall Long. He's coming back off an injury, too. we got a graduate transfer from Columbia, of all places, the Ivy League. I, I, I can't pronounce the guy's last name. Cameron Nizalek we're going to go with, who's like a punting specialist. He did a little bit of everything at Columbia, but he's more renowned for his punting ability. He'll factor in. Maybe David Marvin, the transfer from Wofford, is going to get a chance. He did a little bit of both for Wofford. Um, so, yeah, like right now, it's just too early to tell. We'll see. Uh, but all three of those guys are going to have a chance. Um, and then let's turn it around real quick to the return game. Who do you see returning the kicks? Nicole, to me. I mean, he was the backup last year, so he's the obvious – answer to go in right now and get that first shot at it and Kirby's talked about trying to find ways to get the ball in his hands that's the easiest way to find a, cha- a way to get the ball in his hands you just have him line up back there. you don't have to teach him much of anything there you say stand there catch the ball follow your blockers and make things happen just be a playmaker uh so I absolutely see him being a guy factoring on kick returns if it wasn't me Coles or anyone else that kind of stands out to you as a guy who might push him for that spot possibly Tyler Simmons you could say Terry Godwin but he's shown me nothing to Make me feel comfortable with him back there. What about a guy like DeAndre Swift coming in as a true freshman? Um, maybe, but I think some of the other guys are a little bit quicker in open space, which is different. What about what about like Sony Michelle? Finally I don't think they want to take a chance of him getting injured. 
No, but when you have, I mean, I, w- I would say don't definitely don't put Nick Chubb back there. But Sony's done that a little bit more in his career. Now, it, not always with the most positive results. You know, if you think back to the disaster in uh, Knoxville a couple years ago, we were we were both there seeing that happen live. Uh, that sucked. But I mean, I, I wouldn't be opposed to putting Sony back there because he's not going to get as many carries as Nick is out of the backfield. Find ways to get the ball in his hands. You get the ball in his hands there without taking carries away from Nick. So I think that might be an option, but I think Miko is the odds-on favorite there, and he's the guy I would like to see more than anyone. I think he's got the most playmaking ability of all those options. Punts, though, uh, it's a little bit of a different animal. Do you trust Miko to go out there and return punts, or is there someone else that you're looking at? Uh, I really don't know. I mean, if it's not Miko, like I said, it's not Terry Godwin. I would trust Terry more than Miko right now on punts. I don't know. He, look at what Terry's done. I mean, <laughs> okay. He's not a good his his track record's not good. Well, he had okay one really big bonehead moment when he let the ball go over his head and Kirby about completely lost his shit, uh, justifiably so. Was that the Vanderbilt game? Yeah, yeah. I mean that was, that was a disaster. I mean that should never have been allowed to happen. But I mean he's also been put that back there plenty of times and been a, a, a pretty secure guy and at least fielding the punts. Now the, there is that one big moment that stands out, but he I mean, it hasn't always been a disaster. I think Kirby trusts him. If you listen to his press conference, he trusts him right now more than most guys back there returning punts. And returning punts, that's something you got to trust people. And think about all the times when Isaiah McKenzie in his career wasn't actually put back there. Just because we didn't trust him to hang on to the football. Now, when we need to make a play, we put him back there. You know, going back to the Auburn game in 2015, you put him back there to make a play and basically wins the game for us. Um, but that's that's a position you really got to trust somebody. And, I, and I, I don't know, maybe Miko will earn that spot too. It'd be awesome. Right now, I'd say Godwin's probably the favorite. But outside of that, I don't know. Tyreek McGee? I'm trying to think about some guys who have, at least in their high school background, some some history of doing that. Tyreek McGee's a guy. Uh, what about Elijah Holyfield? Possibly. I don't know. We'll see. And that's, it's, it is so early right now, but those are some possible contenders for those spots. I definitely think uh, Miko will be, like I said, the guy who's the, the odds-on favorite to to return kicks, and I, if I'm handicapping it, I'd probably put Godwin as the hands-on favorite to at least start as the punt returner. We'll see how it goes, though. All right, guys, there you have it for today. That's part one of the March listener mailbag. We'll be back next week with part two. Uh, we've got some really good questions for part two. We had some good ones for part one also. We have some really in-depth ones for part two that we're going to save a little bit so that we have time to get to all of them and do a, a good amount of research on some of these. These are some, some really good ones. So uh, thank you for all of you guys out there who did send in questions. We appreciate it. Hopefully answered your questions and um, gave you what you were looking for there. But uh, if you're not, make sure to follow us on Twitter at Glory underscore UGA. You can send us emails at GloryUJPodcast at gmail.com. Follow us uh, and review us on iTunes. Uh, what else are we on? iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. There we go. I had a brain lapse there for a moment. Um, As always, guys, we really, really, really do appreciate your support. Thanks for tuning in. For Curtis, I'm Tyler. Go Dawgs.